Hello and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I am your host, Howard Megdahl. Happy to be here to talk about the great and glorious game of women's basketball. We are deep into college basketball season, even though it has just begun. Uh, before we get to our fantastic guest, Sue Favor of Women's Hoop World, want to remind you to follow us on Twitter at LockedOnWBB. You can go ahead and like us on Facebook, Locked On Women's Basketball, and make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. It's the surest way to make sure that you get these podcasts the moment that they are uploaded. So without further ado, I've brought Sue Favor here, uh, who is one of my absolute favorite writers. We have so much to talk about and always do when we can, but we're going to focus on the Pac-12 because there is just so much to unpack in this league so, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for being here. Well, hey, thanks so much for having me, Howard. It's always good to, to talk with you and to talk about women's basketball. The place I'd love to start is the game of the day yesterday, which was Sunday afternoon. And that is Notre Dame against Washington. I thought it was really an interesting early test for Washington mm-hmm. to go in, have to play at the number one team in the country. What do you think we learned, first of all, and what do you think the Pac-12 can take away from the way in which Notre Dame somewhat limited Kelsey Plum, who had 22 points to be sure, but wasn't able to take over the game the way she so often does? Well, I don't think it's indicative so much of the Pac-12 as it is of, you know, how just how good and how deep Notre Dame is this year, and also how smart Muffet McGraw is. Um, she's been coaching for so long, and... Um, Kelsey Plum had made it, you know, publicly stated that she needed to work on her left hand, and sure enough, uh, the Irish one and went at her and uh, forced her to her left. So, you know, it just shows that they're paying attention, that they're playing smart. Um, Washington's still a very good team, and it's still early in the season, so it's real easy to jump to conclusions about the rest of the season based on one game, but, you know, as we all know, the season is long, and so um, I think, if anything, it just showed that you know, the Huskies can really compete at that level, and if they keep working, you know, um, they've got a tremendous leader in Kelsey Plum. I think she's probably easily one of the top, uh, well, maybe the perhaps the top player in the country at the moment, if uh, and at least number two, so... Yeah, I was surprised. I talked about this on the podcast with Gabrielle Levine, uh, that she was listed six overall on the ESPN list. And I was happy ESPN did the list, but surprised they had her so low. I guess my question, and and you touched on this, and it's really true, Notre Dame has so many defensive weapons in particular uh, that are able to limit Kelsey Plum in that way. Do you think there are defenses in the Pac-12 that are going to be able to do something similar uh, to her? on the on the defensive end well that is entirely possible um i know uh I, this may get uh for late, uh, slightly later in the broadcast but we have a few teams that are high on defense um oregon of all things with all their newcomers they're all tall and uh kelly Gra- coach kelly graves does emphasize defense so think teams like that could be a problem for washington um jordan canada this year you know, with, with the triple-double, uh, she's certainly approaching Ann Myers' territory when it comes to this uh, particular talent, among others. What has changed, if anything, about Jordan Canada's game this year? Has it evolved? What do you see so far out of her? Well, you know what, Howard? I, I love this young lady. I've seen her 
play ever for the last uh, six years since she was in uh, club ball here in Los Angeles, and so I've watched her very closely. And um, to be honest, she's such a talent that pretty much the only thing that's changed about her this year is she's just gotten more confident. Um, she still had her moments last year where she had a lapse of confidence, but this year it seems like she's not having that at all, and she's just attacking and attacking and attacking, and she is so fun to watch. She can do so many things. She's so versatile. She can drive. She can shoot. She's fearless. She does something, at least one thing every game that you're, that just seems to bring the crowd to an amazement phase. And so I really think the sky's the limit for her. She's She was number one in Pac-12 in assists last year, and she's already averaging 8.33 assists per game through the first 10 days. That is something else right there. Oh, it's remarkable. And, and it really does. You talk about the confidence. It really makes me wonder, you know, that UCLA-Texas game, I think of it as such an interesting hinge point for her career, the way in which she didn't take management of the game the way we're seeing her just do without fail so far this season, makes mm-hmm. me wonder whether this Jordan Canada this year would have led to a different result in that Texas game in the Sweet 16. Do you think that that uh, is a fair statement to make? Yeah, I do. I was actually watching that game at a bar in Westwood with all the Bruin parents, who are really nice people, by the way, and it kind of just felt like the energy was deflated out of the room, just kind of like the maybe UCLA just wasn't that believing in themselves that much, or maybe that's just was just my projection of it, but um, I do think so, yeah. I don't, I'm not really big on what ifs or what was or whatever, but um, hey, this year, both Jordan and Monique Billings... Um, excuse me, are much improved and playing with a lot of fire and enthusiasm and confidence and and they just make, they just help make UCLA a really fun team to watch. Yeah, I'm really impressed by what Corey Close is building there. I had the chance to talk to her a couple of weeks ago and it seems pretty clear, you know, she spoke about, uh, of course, the success pyramid and in this case you had UCLA at the second level and she's not sure until after the fact when they're going to be able to move to the third but this may be the year where they move to the third if not uh, to the third level of the pyramid of success and certainly to the final four but you know Jordan Canada of course you know far from the only talent in this lead let's talk a little bit about Erica McCall and the thing that's really striking me with Erica is her game seems to be blending in a way that will make her a unique threat at the next level. I'm curious what you see out of Erica McCall, not only this year for Stanford, but what she can be as a WNBA player at this point. Well, that's a great question, Howard. I hadn't really thought that far ahead, I'll be honest with you. She's another young lady that I've literally watched for six and a half years because she played club ball with the same organization that my kids and that Jordan Canada played for. And so... I've seen her since she was 14, and she did start her career at Stanford uh, a little bit slow, but then again, she was playing behind, you know, Sinead Womake. She's really blossomed on the confidence level the last couple of years herself. She had, really had a breakout year last year. She's She just is manifesting that potential that I think all, uh, we all saw when she was 14 years old, and it's really exciting. Um, <clears throat> she is one of those players who I think her game could translate to the next level. Not all college players are able to make that transition successfully, but I think she will. Um, she's got a big, strong body, a very versatile skill set, and uh, that's exactly what WNBA teams want. Do you think that it is just going to become a prerequisite for your 6'3", your 6'4", your 
you know, stretch four or even stretch five to be able to make the perimeter shots and that the era of the uh, back to the basket post is really passing uh, within the WNBA in the way that it really has in the NBA as well. Well, yeah, you know, it, it, I think we're almost there already, Howard. It's funny because I, uh, <clears throat> I was sitting between uh, Peter Canada and Chuck Billings, the fathers of Jordan Canada and Monique Billings yesterday, just chatting. And uh, Peter Canada said the NBA, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I do trust his word, that NBA is looking at drafting more guards because all the uh, because of all the versatility. And so, you know, they need to balance it out because everybody can do everything now. And so that probably is where the WNBA is going because, you know, you see more and more um, players like Candace Parker who can take, you know, 6-4, but who can take the ball coast to coast on a dribble, um, who can shoot the three, who can do all these other things that you, you know, never used to see bigs do. It's just that's kind of the way the game's going at all levels. Everybody has to do a little bit of everything now. Yeah, I'm really struck by it. And, and, and it's, you know, when Candace was doing it, it was something at the very top of the game. You know, the very whether, whether it was Candace, whether it was Lauren Jackson preceding her as yeah. well. But you, you see it filtering throughout uh, even NCAA basketball. So, so a, a player like Erica being able to shoot the perimeter shot, you know, someone like even Alicia Froling out at SMU has the yeah. opportunity to play that inside-outside game. I think it's really exciting for uh, where the game is going. Uh, speaking of that type of player, I want to talk about uh, Cal's duo. And, and you know, Christina Nidway was uh, consensus freshman of the year, uh, although I, I do think Jessica Shepard uh, had a role to play in that discussion. That's another topic for another time. Uh, but, you know, Nidway is sort of thought of as the uh, primary player for Cal. But you look at Michaela Cowling and what she's able to do on the boards, what she's able to do shooting from the perimeter. Who do you see as Cal's most important player between those two? Well, that's an excellent question, Howard. Um, you know, it's probably a toss-up between them. Um, obviously, Michaela's a little older, more experienced, so just for, on that alone, I might tip the hat to her. Um, Anagwe is still young. She's only a sophomore. She's still kind of developing, getting the feel. Cal didn't have their strongest year last year, so um, she's still probably kind of developing herself and, and getting her own confidence level up. But, um, you know, Cal is one of those teams in the Pac-12 that's kind of a good kind of a question mark because they have been so strong and then last year was a complete rebuilding year for them but you can never count out Lindsey Gottlieb and so um, I have no doubt that they're going to they're gonna do some great things this year but I think I'd probably say probably Cowling at this point just because of the experience factor but hey you never know I'm always afraid to make predictions because I'm usually wrong so <laughs> <laughs> It's hard enough to make predictions about the present let alone the future you're right. and, yeah, yeah, I, I, I mean, in a way, it's interesting, just, you know, referring to what we were just talking about, has been more of your straight-up, you know, back-to-the-basket post player. It would be interesting mm -hmm. to see the way uh, in which she develops. But again, you know, Lindsey Gottlieb getting that contract extension was a terrific thing to see, and uh, I think it would be interesting. Do you think, you know, push comes to shove, does Cal look like an NCAA tournament team to you this year, or do you think they're a year away? Boy, that's, a, that's another good question, Howard. Um... To be on, I'll be real honest. I haven't seen him yet, so I don't want to, you know, act like I'm an expert or anything. But um, I don't know. They they could easily, you know, who thought that they would have gone to the Final Four in 2013? No one. So I mean, I could never count Lindsey Gottlieb out. So I I will just have to wait and see what they've got this year. But it sounds like they're healthy, and that they're a few steps ahead of where they were last year. So hey, 
I think they could probably punch that ticket, yeah, just right off the top of my head, sure. It's really interesting. There are so many teams in this league that can make some noise in the NCAA tournament, let alone how many can get there. And, and I, I agree with you. I think Cal certainly is going to be in the mix. Uh, shifting to Utah, uh, which is a team that not nearly enough people talk about, particularly I'm, I'm thinking about their center, Emily Potter. Is, is she the most underrated center in the country when you look at the rebounding you look at the ability to block shots that six six frame is emily potter just the most underrated center in the country you know she just might be hard and, and i'm as puzzled as you as to why utah doesn't get the buzz that some of the other teams do but um boy potter just puts up the numbers she if you just check her stats i mean there's nothing but good to say about her. She's she's amazing. I'm gonna I'm have the yeah here we go. I have the Pac-12 stats up right now. She's uh, already averaging 8.7 rebounds a game. Um, I'm not quite sure where that might fall under the NCAA. Here we go. The NCAA list. I'm not quite sure about that yet. But she's definitely made her mark there. Um, just a real strong body. Real real confident. Real skilled. She can do her job, and she's one of the reasons that Utah is undefeated right now. No question. And and let's not forget, you know, my, one of my favorite stats is block percentage, which uh, mm -hmm. instead of just the total blocks, it's, you know, relative to opportunity. And she is uh, in the top ten in the in the country already. She is mm -hmm. a, a top of Pac-12. And just that rim protection, that element of rim protection is so significant. She is ahead of, in terms of pace, uh, what Ruth Hamblin was, who was obviously terrific about it and, and, and a key reason why that Oregon State team was as good as it was last year. Uh, I, I, it would be fascinating to see. She's just starting her junior year, too. It's just yeah. someone to watch. Yeah, she, it looks like I just found in here, uh, Howard, she's averaging already three blocks a game, yeah. so that's, and for, she's uh, just behind a, a couple other players here, including Erica McCall, so yeah, she's, she's something to watch for. Yeah, don't, don't miss her. I have, people on the East Coast, and I, I have uh, been spreading the word, you know, I, I have two young children, but uh, I have not let that stop me from having sleepless <laughs> Friday night and Saturday nights, making sure that I'm taking this in. There, there are so many players and teams to be watching in this conference, not to be missed. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and another one of those teams uh, is Arizona State, and and they're such a puzzle to me. I, I'm. I look at them this year, and you look at the scoring, and Robbie Ryan, actually a freshman, leading them so far in points per game uh, ahead of Sophie Bruner. I, I think about the early exit last year in the NCAA tournament, and I, I just wonder, do you think Arizona State is too balanced on the offensive end? That's a great question, too, Howard. You have great questions, ladies Thank and gentlemen. You. Howard Megal has great much. questions. Um, you know what they might be. They lost so much last year with uh, Alicia Davis's uh, exit being like kind of the heart and soul of the team, and they seem a little off balance this year. Um, and and they'd have so many newcomers, and so um, they. I don't even know if they have enough uh, experience yet to know that they're off balance. But once they get their bearings, they might find that they're too balanced. Um, <laughs> they. Um, <clears throat> They just seem like a step behind where they were last year so far. They're one of the teams that was ranked pre-season uh, high, and I just don't see them, you know, living up quite to that ranking. Nothing, you know, against any of the personnel of the coaches, but I just don't quite see them coming together like that. It just seems like they have two, a lot of diverse elements, so many new players that are so different from each other. 
that um, I think it might take them a while to mesh effectively. So I don't know, but once they do, they have unlimited potential. I, I mean, the real question, I think, is can you ask of Robbie Ryan to be that type of leading scorer for you as a freshman? I, I mean, you know, do you think that that is a reasonable expectation, especially in light of everything we've talked about and the fact that you were, having, you were asking her to do it in a lead where there are so many experienced, talented, plus defensive guards? Well, that's true. In the Pac-12 of even five years ago, it might have been realistic. But in this Pac-12, maybe not. You know, it just depends. And not Christina Nigway uh, definitely carried Cal last year as a freshman. But it just depends on the team and on the circumstances. As a guard, it's probably uh, more challenging because you just got so many great guards in the, the Pac-12 right now. You've got Kelsey. You've got Jordan. Um, you know, it's, it's not an easy order. So... We'll just see if uh, young Robbie can do it. It'll, it'll be fascinating to see. I, I, I don't want us to overlook any teams or players that we haven't touched on here within the Pac-12. Anyone uh, who we left out who you think we ought to pay special attention to this year? Well, I guess uh, I'll just mention that I think uh, Kristen Simon of USC might be poised for a breakout year. She's been putting up phenomenal numbers so far and just looks like she's much improved on all levels. Um, I'm going to call freshman uh, conference freshman of the year already is Sabrina Ionescu of the Oregon Ducks. Mm-hmm. She's already uh, been in double digits for most of their games so far as a freshman, and she just looks really just completely unstoppable. So um, those are kind of some of the people I'm looking at. And as far as teams, I'm uh, besides Utah, I'm really intrigued with Colorado and what uh, first-year coach J.R. Payne is doing out there because they're off to a strong start as well. They just upset number 15 Kentucky on Saturday. That was a huge, huge win. And uh, they're just see- you're just seeing more energy from that team than we've seen from them in, in quite a few seasons. And so um, really intrigued to see what they have going on. Yeah, I, I mean, to, to slow down Michaela Epps is, is no small feat, especially uh, early on in the season. I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, but, so before, before I let you go, and, and I really appreciate all your insight here. It's such a pleasure to talk to you about uh, basketball and, and really anything. But I want to touch on a piece you wrote uh, on the WNBA's marketing and what we've seen the league do in 2016, where they've gained, and where they still need to improve. So take me through why you wrote that piece now and what you thought were the specifics that were most worth emphasizing. Well, I appreciate you asking, Howard, and it's also always great to talk to you as well. Um, I wrote the other day, I wrote this piece as a follow-up piece to last year, um, just seeing that the WNBA kind of lacks on a few things in marketing and um, I'm just concerned because, you know, they the league needs to grow, and um, I'm just not seeing enough steps taken uh, to foster that and, uh, you know, nurture that growth. And um, what I wrote the other day was just uh, kind of an update on last year's um, piece. I just feel like the WNBA should take maybe um, a more grassroots approach. They, they did a lot this year as far as getting celebrities and celebrity athletes on board and, and, and publicly endorsing the league, and that was definitely good. Um, if, they, if the WNBA hits the fan level and, and tries to get more fans involved and engaged and um, tries to give back more to fans, I think that's where they'll really see the difference in the uh, publicity surge. They um, just need to reach out to fans more and do more for fans. Um, the fans 
that love the NBA and NBA just love the league, and um, the league needs to capitalize on that. The fan, even Neka Womake, the uh, WNBA MVP this year, commented that, "Oh, you know, our our fans know us very well, and they they love us very well." It's like, well, yeah, let's go ahead and hook into that. And uh, <clears throat> a lot of those fans out there are very passionate about the league, and so I think if if you give the fans a little bit more of a bone. It'll go a long way, and I'll spread the news and spread the word and spread the word, and, and the, it'll grow. But I think the overall blanket approach that the WNBA has needs to be supplemented by a little bit of, of coming up from the bottom to the grassroots and just trying to really hit the fans, especially the young ladies and the young people, because they support and they know the players more than grown people do sometimes. All the young people, they know who they are. Yeah, and and that enthusiasm is so key, and, and capturing it young has long-term ramifications as well. You also spoke about, uh, in that piece, the idea that the lead doesn't seem to do, and the teams as well, a lot of highlighting their own coverage, which is how you sort of amplify the message. Uh, wondering, have has anyone ever explained to you why that is? Because it never made a lot of sense to me, and it needs to happen through the lead and through the teams, of course, because there aren't necessarily traditional outlets that are covering the lead the way they ought to. So to highlight it is the surest way when there is that coverage of amplifying the audience, rewarding editors who make those assignments, and then you turn around and those editors are more likely to make more assignments to cover uh, the WNBA as a result, you know, because the, the traffic is everything. So why do you think that doesn't happen? Boy, that's a great question, Howard. And um, I spoke to one official there over the summer and whose comment was, oh, you have to remind me to get that to get your story on our Twitter feed. And I thought that was kind of interesting because I thought, why should I have to remind you about something? Because if you look around, like you said, there's not a whole bunch of us covering it. It's not like <clears throat> the men's games where you have, you know, five deep, reporters in the media section. So it would seem that it would be pretty, you know, one-on-one-ish to highlight those articles because the quality, I guess I would call our coverage, Howard, um, and I, you know, yours, others, as kale because they don't have maybe the, the same uh, volume of coverage that men's leagues do, but the quality of the pieces that we write are just so full of vitamins and minerals that why not put them up and why not highlight them because we really care we really dig deep we really showcase the the women in the league and the coaches in the league so i don't know you would think i just don't know <laughs> i agree and i will say something i really like that you did was they started the wnb news the email accounts out on a weekly basis which is something i've gotten for years on the aca side and was overdue and does do a tremendous job of highlighting the same things. But those but emails, they go out to media. media. And, and yeah. that's, that's well and good, well and, good and, that's and that's fine. But, but making, making sure it's going out to the, the people who are following the individual, the individual team, team accounts, accounts, the lead, the lead account, account um, I think um, it's real important, important as well. I'm glad you highlighted it. I know the league listens to what we're saying and is receptive to it. So we'll keep pounding the drums, I think. That's a great idea, Howard, and I appreciate you bringing it up. It's a great point about the newsletter. They may, I don't know, maybe they don't know, so I'll just tell them, WNBA, we love you. So, 
Come on now. There's, there's, it's, 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 so it's so interesting. interesting. There's, 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 there's an, an element of, of advocacy that goes, that goes into, into this coverage. coverage. I think by, I think by design. design. I think it, I think has, it has, to has to be that way. Just because, just because this is uh, an, area an area where, where there, needs there needs to be work done, done both on both the media, media side and on the and lead and team side uh, to, uh, be to be able to bring this game to more people. But like I said, the people that get in the arena and Lisa Borders talk this all the time, that the people that get into the arena Want to, want to stay, stay and, want and want to return. return. So we'll, we'll, all we'll all continue to do our part, part, I'm sure. sure. Uh, uh, Sue, so, so anything, anything that we ought to know that's coming up, up at the site, site uh, and, and, and what is, what is the, the easiest and best way for people to go ahead and follow you the way I do? Well, thanks for asking, Howard. I We do have a few. In Los Angeles, where I'm based out of, we do have lucky to have some great teams passing through here before conference play begins. So uh, this coming week, Duke will be in town, so I'll be covering a game where they are. And um, we also have Michigan State swinging through. At the end of the month, will be Penn. Um, <clears throat> so I'll be, I'll be uh, interviewing players from those teams as they pass through our fine city here. Um, my website is womenshoopsworld.com, and uh, I am on Twitter at hoopism, H-O-O-P-I-S-M. And uh, definitely... Would lo always love to hear from fans if you have any story ideas or thoughts or anything. Anybody, anytime you want to chop it up about women's hoops, uh, let me know. There's just some really, really fine people that play this game. And if you feel like you have a player in mind or a coach in mind that deserves a story, just don't hesitate to let me know. I'd love to hear about it. I, I, I can't I, I wait can't to wait hear what you have to say about Tori Jenkins, who is so much, so much fun to watch play when yeah. the stage yeah. comes yeah. down. Oh, fantastic. fantastic. Well, well, Sue, thank, thank you, thank so, you much so much for taking, for taking the time to be here, here uh, on, on Lockdown Women's, women's basketball, basketball, and I hope and you have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and we'll have you back soon. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Howard. It's been a true pleasure, and happy Thanksgiving to you. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone in basketball land. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, so, and so thank you, thank you for listening to Locked on Women's, women's Basketball. basketball. Just a reminder, reminder, you can follow, follow us on Twitter, Twitter at Locked on WB. Go ahead and like, like us on Facebook. Facebook. And most important, whether it's iTunes, iTunes or your other podcast network, network uh, collection, collection of choice, go ahead, go ahead and subscribe to make sure, sure that, that as soon as our frequent, frequent updates, updates come, that you are in a position to hear them. I am Howard Magdahl, wishing you a wonderful day.